Welcome to the 10K Collective podcast for six, seven and eight figure Amazon and e-commerce sellers, a part of the amazing FBA family. If you want to scale fast, target a seven figure exit and enjoy the process, then keep listening. Today's episode is sponsored by the new e-commerce podcast, The E-Commerce Leader, co-hosted by myself, Michael Vizi, and Jason Miles, top 1% Shopify store owner and Unimi's highest rated e-commerce instructor. If you're the owner of a thriving e-commerce business, look for The E-Commerce Leader on your favorite podcast app and subscribe today. Hey folks, welcome back for another dose of Amazon strategy. Today we're going to be talking about the what's driving Amazon and how Amazon makes its money, which implies also where Amazon's going next. We're talking with Dr. Robin, Robin Gaster, who wrote Behemoth. I think that's how you say it. Amazon rising and it was Behemoth a giant. Amazon's obviously a giant. Those of us who are third-party sellers have have to, folks, educate ourselves about where Amazon as a whole is going so that we can see where they're going and if nothing else, stay the heck out of the way so we don't get trampled underfoot. If you're not selling on Amazon and you're an e-commerce seller competing directly with Amazon, I also think it's pretty essential for you to understand the competition at a deep level. So either which way, I think this is essential stuff and hopefully an enjoyable discussion to, you know, stimulate the old grey cells as well. Enjoy the show. Yeah. And it it's interesting. It does sort of segue into a discussion about brands because in a way a brand is this sort of analog of owning the land right Uh you own you own your brand you own the land and i think in amazon's world i don't i think there is very little room for brands it's that the platform is not one that encourages brands okay let me just kind of absorb some of this very 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 interesting by the way the follow the money is what i wanted to uh I want to say where the money flows focus goes, or actually that's normally the other way around. Actually, when you're, when you're running a business where the focus goes, the money flows is the classic yeah. statement. But I think that right. the flip side of understanding a business, the same thing as well, because as you say, Amazon says many grand things, by the way, many of them are actually open secrets. I think they are genuinely customer obsessed. I think they're 14 yeah. leadership principles, which you articulate very clearly in the book and how important they are and, and which ones more important than others. You know, the customer obsession being most famous, they're kind of an open secret. And, and he says this stuff, but then when it comes to the numbers, I think that's really the truth of the matter. True. And everyone, individual businesses many businesses also have no idea about their own numbers and likewise their own businesses are a mystery to them and and i think they're two sides of the same coin if you don't know how to read somebody else's business reports and really really dig you won't really be able to do the same yourself so it's a good exercise to go and just literally go and get amazon's business reports but as you say you probably need to have somebody expert like yourself or presumably called on some kind of accountant friends to to help with this but that's those are scary numbers like they lost did you say 40 billion I believe they lost 40 billion. Okay. So how could, I mean, this did raise a question because I (laughs) I would tell people this and say, how is that possible? (laughs) They they are running the world's biggest, best e-commerce business. They have no brick and mortar liability. How can they possibly have lost 40 billion? And, and I have two basic explanations for this. The first takes us back to those 6 million sharks. So Amazon does not reveal how many items it owns in its own catalog. The last time we got any kind of a report was about five years ago, and they had 20 million items, all right? So let's just assume, for the sake of argument, they haven't increased that. I think they probably doubled it, but 
let's say they haven't. So you know from having been in business how hard it is to manage the supply chain efficiently for one item. It's difficult. Now imagine how you're going to do that for 20 million items. Uh, you know, a big Walmart has 100,000 items in it. This, this is, you know, 2,000 times. It's, it's a lot. So how do you do that? And the answer is you automate it. And Amazon has done just that over the last five, six, 10 years. They've tried to automate their 1P business and their purchasing decisions and their supply chain. And honestly, the evidence suggests that it's not working very well. So one can imagine that that supply chain, which is automated, is facing those 6 million sharks out there, plus all of the big brands off the platform or possibly on the platform partly. It's a very, very competitive environment that Amazon has created for itself with the, with the marketplace. It has to play there too. And it is hobbled by the fact that it has such a, such a poorly structured supply chain. So that's hypothesis one. I find it reasonably convincing. And the other is it really looks to, well, there, there are two others, actually. So I'll give you three. That's one. Second one is those sharks really know their business. If you're running a small company with a few supply chains, few items, you know exactly, exactly how to manage those items, how to position them best within Amazon. Amazon is working the numbers in a very general way. It has very little expertise in managing individual products. And then the third thing is Amazon, and this is a classic case of hubris in a way. Let's say that you're Amazon five years ago and or 10 years ago even, and you have an excellent book business, you have a pretty good electronics business, you have a good toys business, and you're just starting to get into apparel and furniture and home, uh, home office stuff and paint and everything else that you can imagine. Now, one would say, one would say, okay, so you get into these things and you can grow your top line like crazy by coming in with a low price and simply underpricing everybody. And you can afford to do that because you have these other revenue sources. So you do that. So you grow your top line tremendously and really you don't think too much about your bottom line, but maybe now they have to. I think Amazon has just expanded its catalog in directions that are not profitable. And it's pretty easy to fix. They, they would need to just simply cut the bottom third of their products and, and they would be making more money than God. But, but, but you know, the companies have legacy cultures and this company started as the everything store. I think it would be quite difficult for them to say, well, no, we're going to actually cut a third of our SKUs. But that's probably what they need to do. So interesting. I mean, I would say... Just a couple of things. I mean, first of all, e even for smallish businesses, managing supply chain for, I know, I know people who launched 50,000, sorry, 50 new products a quarter, which right. still leads to several hundred SKUs. I got, I got one client who's got, I think, 2,500 SKUs. And yeah, that's pretty horrendous. <laughs> they got a, a team of 20 people. And, yeah. you know, it's, it's kind of a successful business, but not necessarily very easy to sell that kind of business. And so, right. you know, for them, it's not a success in the sense that it's making money, it's making revenue, it's making profits, but it's still not sellable. Now for Amazon, 
yeah, it, it's hard to imagine dealing with 20 million. I, I initially wrote 20K down here, and then, yeah. then he said million. I thought, no, so it wasn't 20,000, it was 20 million. It's just an unfathomable number. It and is. <laughs> I think the the culture of, I think, underestimating the competition and, and having too, too much focus on the top line and expanding your product line to the known universe and is a disease, by the way, as a side note, but a really, really business-killing side note that all third-party sellers can fall sure. into very quickly. Yeah. Just because you know your niche and it has to be, I don't know, children's clothes or whatever, does not mean that you should sell everything just because it makes revenue. You should probably also consider cutting the bottom third of the products. But that culture of the everything store somehow permeates and the focus on the top line. Also, I've noticed this is a disease that Amazon encourages and, and sort of passes on contagiously yes. to third-party sellers, which is kind of by the way but not really because if you don't get that right you're going to be out of business as well that's another sort of defensive move it's like be more profitable than amazon and you can kind of dominate that also i have to say that 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 explains a lot uh, about why is amazon so fantastically terrible at writing amazon listings it's their own platform they invented yeah. the amazon listing yeah. and yet the, the listings for the, the first party listings are horrible two shots on white no kind of lifestyle shots no no kind of if i were working with them as a client i'd be bashing them overhead and say i'll give you two out of ten let's start again but of course how, yeah, how are you going to do that for twenty million? You items? cannot do it exactly right, yeah. which is the fascinating thing. Also, it just struck me very strongly when I was preparing again for the interview, and how incredible it is that people talk about cannibalizing your own business before your competition does. For example, Kodak invents the digital camera, right. sits on it for two decades, and then goes out of business completely. Now, what they should have done is cannibalize their own business. But what struck me about Amazon is they cannibalized their own business before they even thought they had to with creating the third-party warehouse marketplace. And yet, that turned out to be a smart move because what you're saying, the, the marketplace is not only profitable, but it's profitable enough along with AWS advertising it's and, not, and it's whatever. It's not just it's, yeah. I, I forgot to add two other things to think about when considering why Amazon might be losing money. Mm. Um, one, of course, is is that they have they in their own business have an emphasis on inexpensive goods basically cheap goods i mean look at amazon basics and look at amazon essentials right these are small items very low cost they probably make almost no gross margin on it but then they have the horrible problem that they have to deliver them you know fba as you know i'm sure probably just about covers its own costs. I, I don't think Amazon is making a killing on FBA, but then they, well, let's say they're covering their costs, but they're not covering their 1P costs. So every time Amazon delivers you a set of uh, AA batteries, they're losing money. There's, there's absolutely no, no other possibility. They're probably losing more money than the gross because it costs that much to deliver. So, so delivery is a big problem for them. Uh, yeah, it, you know, it's because they're in so many small, light, inexpensive products, and they allow you to buy them one at a time. That is a you know a catastrophic hole in the bottom of the boat. Yeah. Um, By the <laughs> way, don't do this at home if you're a third party seller, and again, yeah. leave Amazon to do that. The yeah, other thing, right. of course, is as you point out in your book, that I think that the other stats that struck me is that there are lots of tables of statistics. If you like that kind of thing. By the way, if you don't like tables of statistics, I think you're going to struggle to, to make any kind of profit in e-commerce. Sorry, but. I, I happen to anyway. And yeah. if you like that kind of stuff, if you don't, by the way, hire somebody who does because yeah. you're going to go out of business. But anyway, <laughs> so I noticed that the delivery costs have gone from uh, the, the infrastructure, sort of, I suppose, for 
fulfillment as a whole had yeah. crept up from like 20% to like 29% of gross yeah. revenue or something yeah. insanely high. Yeah. But then when you think about it, they keep promising better and better and better things using drones that, you know, whether on land or on air, they've well, got one day, um, one day delivery. One day delivery is yeah. hugely expensive. Oh, yeah. I wanted yeah, to say be. one other thing, because again, yeah. I think, because this is, you mentioned China, Chinese sellers, China-based sellers, right? Well, you know, so China, so Amazon opened the the highway between China and the U, and the UK and the US. It just invited in Chinese manufacturers and said, "Fine, you go sell," which was great for marketplace. But basically, <laughs> it played the same it played the same role for Amazon that Amazon did for Borders. It disintermediated them. Right now. I can buy stuff directly from manufacturers. I don't have to. I don't have to buy from Amazon. Amazon's one P business is absolutely at the mercy of all these China sellers that it's brought into the marketplace. So the pricing pressures on Amazon are tremendous. Very good point. It's odd how the the, the analogy with the Jesuits and the Marines is not wrong because there's something extraordinarily mission driven and almost counter kind of commercial about Amazon, and yet yeah. it isn't. It, it's just you have to. It's like a complex judo master playing chess kind of combo. I mean, it's, it, you know, you've got to look at least three moves ahead because if, if you're yeah. playing chess with a grandmother, like I used to play chess with a flatmate and he was just a very bright numbers driven guy. He was a French engineer and the French are very, very good at their mathematical education. He was sort of on the edges of, ma of not grandmaster, but master ELO 2200 mm. status. So if he sacrifices queen or something weird, <laughs> if you play chess, you know what I mean? Yes, I just yes, was yes. always very aware. I'm like, there's no way that he's just doing that be stupid if i do it it's me being stupid if amazon does it they're like what is going yeah, on there's yeah. always a reason so there's never never i've never seen amazon take a move that is not thought through at least five chess moves in advance i, so I guess that's, that's right. genius right right but but so why the hell are they letting the chinese manufacturers on I there given that, that what's I, going I, on well i i do think that the the transition from 1p to 3p has been underway for two decades and to me, it can only accelerate. I mean, you, you ask yourself, you're a business strategist too, and you ask yourself, do you want to be in retail where margins are low, it's possible to lose a lot of money, there's a great deal of risk, you have to hold inventory, and you have to market your own products. You can be in that business, or you can be in the platform business and sell space to other merchants at zero risk, make more money, have no inventory, I, I think this is a no-brainer. Why would you be in 1P at all? I think, yeah. that's a, I think that's a legacy business for Amazon and that eventually they will leave it. It does make sense, yeah, and, and you're completely right. I mean, that's that's the obvious answer, which is bad news for anyone else is competing <laughs> not only with the Chinese manufacturers who seem to not need to make money, but Amazon, who also obviously has decided that they're quite okay with losing vast amounts of money and then obfuscating it to the extent where Wall Street doesn't yeah. kind of notice because the overall picture is growth, which is just... Just extraordinary. Now, let's come to this notion of brand then, because for oh, me, yeah. that feels like it It follows on Nexus. And my understanding, I'm talking to Jason Boyce, who I know you've interviewed extensively yeah, yeah. for your book, and a yeah. very, very, very good choice, by the way. He's somebody I've yeah. gotten to know quite well over the last yeah. uh, few months. And 
and he's obviously big uh, smart with, guy. Yeah. very smart and he's smart enough to have good taste in <laughs> he, other people who are very smart Rick Cesari who I've interviewed a couple of times in the podcast and produced some mm. wonderful books on marketing generally so I guess direct to consumer branding slash marketing for them they, they pointed out that Amazon is terrible at, at you know the whole business of writing an Amazon listing and as your book pointed out which is a revelation to me actually although they are a threat as a private labeler they're not actually very good at it and they're not making money from what you've diagnosed which I, is I can't imagine they're making money at it which I mean, is look, amazing they've yeah. been at it look they've been at <laughs> it for 10 years more or less and they themselves claim that it's less than one percent of revenues which is tiny really for them is, yeah well and and it's and, it, and it's stuck in a few categories i mean you know clothing yeah. and batteries basically <laughs> batteries yeah maybe you talked about the battery thing and they had such a good early success that they tried to replicate it and then realized that the 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 drivers of that were different from the economics of, of a different market which again That's should right. be a warning to all third-party sellers who want to do the same <laughs> but anyway so coming back to this whole thing i guess what i'm saying is for for rick and and jason they wrote a book which i'm sure you've read yeah, the yeah. amazon jungle which they talked about in the podcast a really very good book and their their response was brand brand is the answer for a third-party seller to develop a strong brand to differentiate yourself in terms of the, the product to market fit and the message to market fit to put it in abstract terms in other words better products better packaging geared to a specific type of consumer solving problems better than the competition and then articulating that through wonderful wonderful images and, and copy and i have to say that you know jason and, and his agency are a, a case in point so let's talk about that then how real do you think that is is that a, a proper defense or is that kind of a, a myth or is it somewhere in between so with with all due respect to jason who who i dearly love i th i think you have to come to grips with a, a single core reality somewhere between 70 and 80 percent of searches on amazon are generic searches they are not searches for a particular brand and you can imagine that of the remainder, most of them are for big consumer brands like, you know, Nike or Heinz or, you know, whoever, Levi, Levi Strauss. So there's nobody on Amazon really who is searching for your brand. Not much. And Amazon is designed explicitly, I think. I mean, well, not explicitly because they would deny this they amazon says that they do all kinds of things to help brands be brands i i think amazon is the anti-brand look if what is the purpose of a brand a brand is there to give you recognition by the consumer you know there's the brand funnel and all that stuff basically recognition by the consumer an emotional connection to the consumer that goes beyond a simple transaction and the opportunity to sell to the consumer at a, some kind of a premium because you because they love you. That's that's the idea. And Amazon undercuts all of that. Amazon is about price and it's about reviews. That's how you find things on Amazon. And if you do find a brand that you like, do you remember it next time? No, probably not. You just go search for the same search that you did last time and you get the same kind of result. I I I find it very difficult to, I don't disbelieve in brands. I think brands are powerful, but the place that you create a brand is off Amazon. Yeah. Amazon, Amazon is the place where you get customers. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a very interesting point. And that's another another smart guy who used to sell on Amazon, sold his Amazon business, is now a, a broker for other Amazon 
business owners, which is, by the way, it's just uh, it's the gold rush. I mean, 2013, oh, 14 was the gold rush. Okay, fine. Well, let's talk about that. But <laughs> but just to mention, so Ben Leonard, who's a friend of mine, has been on the podcast, Smart British Seller. He's his response to that was exactly what you just implied: the place where you create brand is off Amazon, and the place where you make sales is on Amazon. And and actually, he's very big on having on off Amazon assets because you're selling at something of a price premium to the rest, and that's a relative term, right? It's not yeah, relative yeah. to the difference between Nike and some generic brand. It's the difference between a generic brand on Amazon driven solely by search and a, a brand driven by search, but which has then the the brand presence on Amazon. And then when you Google it, I guess, which is his yes. point, if it's more expensive, you Google. And when you go off Amazon, it has the the, the physical presence on, I guess, the web presence, I should say, to right. back up the That's feeling right. of a brand, which is not the same as being in all the stores in the whole country or the whole globe, no, like no. Nike sneakers, but it's not quite the same as just some stuff from China on a plain white background, right? So right. what's your response to that? Is it kind of, uh, is that a semi-brand? Is that is that no, worth I think doing? I, th- I think that's, I think it's the only way, really. I mean, how how can you create a brand on Amazon where Amazon stands between you and your customer all the time? makes it so hard to build any kind of relationship. And it's just quite deliberate. Amazon wants an atomized consumer population and it wants and, and it wants to stand absolutely between that amorphous mob and and the seller. And unless you can somehow connect to your own customers, I cannot see how you can possibly build a brand. What you're building instead is kind of a Potemkin brand. It's a brand that seems like it's a brand, but it's not actually a brand. It's just standing in for a brand. It doesn't have any emotional connection to the customer. It doesn't even know the customer. It's just this like fake brand along the side of the river. So tell me, what is a Potemkin brand? I know the battleship oh. to Potemkin is a famous Eisenstein oh, movie Potemkin, from the Soviet yeah. era, right? <laughs> no, this is, this is from pre-Soviet times. Okay. And, and it's from a Potemkin village, which is a fake village along the river that is, is put up so that as the king's barge, or the, in this case, the Tsar's barge passes through, it looks as though it's a prosperous and, and well-run village. But in fact, it's just a facade. And and that's what brands are. They're you know <laughs> these, these these brands are just a facade. They don't. They are not the notion. The actual sort of content of the brand is the relationship to the customer. And these yeah. brands have no relationship to the customer. Yeah, and I guess the only argument against that would probably be to to make damn sure that you do. In other words, yeah. that you may sell on Amazon, but you can create Facebook groups or you can have a an email list, and maybe yeah. you drive driven through Facebook ads. And you know, even if you, for example, as Ben Leonard would say, the simplest version of this would probably be to have your own direct, not even direct to consumer brand, but basically a le- a sort of brand reassurance page, i.e., a website yeah. that says we're a real brand, or you know, yeah. a Potemkin village, but nevertheless yeah. some kind of village. And, you know, There's hopefully the scenery doesn't wobble yeah. too much. Right. And then maybe you capture people's email addresses there. So at least you start to have an ability to reach the consumers directly. So I think that's one of some of the smarter sellers I know that the Amazon sellers that are transitioning into starting to do SEO work, which is, of course, on another platform. Let we, lest we forget, Google is not a natural right. resource. It's a no, commercial no. company doing gain. Nevertheless, SEO on Google, capture the leads, follow up with them, then send them to Amazon to buy. So at least you're doing some yeah. of that work, which all of which which the, the conversation we've had so far just tells me if nothing else, we really, really, really need to be doing that work because it's even more frightening than I thought. If Amazon's losing 40 billion in a year as a first party seller, they absolutely have to squeeze the third party sellers to, to the pipsqueak. 
Thanks so much for listening to the 10K Collective podcast, part of the family of amazing FBA podcasts. Today's episode is sponsored by the new e-commerce podcast, The E-Commerce Leader. The podcast is hosted by yours truly and Jason Miles, multi-million dollar Shopify owner and Unimi's highest rated e-commerce instructor. If you're the owner of a thriving online business and you want to become the best e-commerce leader you can be, it's got your name on it. For free guides and mini courses on many topics, go to www.theecommerceleader.com.